I do think that if we were to shock the world, and we should do this on April 1st to really do this. So those listening on April 1st, this would be the day to do it. We're going to come in like tie-dye shirts or like the instant teams, tie-dye hats, things like that. Do you have that hat? Did they send you I that do. hat? Yep. Yeah. yep. People will be so confused. Don't you think? Yeah, we're um, the unofficial uniform has been in place for quite some time. Yes. Speaking of which, um, our first guest ever on this show. Uh, do you want to? I don't. Do, do you know the news about them? About uh, making the list? Yeah. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I did see something. Go ahead and and. Okay, right. so first guest ever on the show, Erica McManus from Instant Teams. Uh, they. Uh, I don't know. I nominated themselves or were were. Yeah, um, I don't know I, how I, that works. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, they were um, awarded, I guess, the 208 in Inc. 5000. And they they and set a, the we have a long time them, history with them. Yeah, and they set their they set a goal. I think uh, Liza set the goal of. Making just making the list like eight months ago, maybe the beginning of the year or something like that. It was their goal. Just you have to, to have like twenty. Uh, Kevin Daisy and uh, Eric J. Olson from Ray Digital. That's their goal too. They they made it as well. They were a guest, or Eric was a guest too, but not yeah. in two hundred eight. Uh, and you had to hit a million in revenue, and then some other crazy stats. Uh, I think twenty five percent growth year to year. So they just must. Yeah, that's great. That's that's awesome. 208. That's that's no joke. I mean, they're almost number one. <laughs> well, they're certainly in the yeah, they're uh they did great. Yeah. It's always nice to see people succeed. I I agree. How are you, Tim? I'm great. It's good to see you. It's always this is my favorite day of the week. I agree. I um I was watching something yesterday and the um, the guy said it was Thursday and I was like, hold on a second. It's Wednesday. And I had to like look at my watch. I actually had to re like back it up to make sure that we were on the right day because I was like, I'm not ready to do this show today. Like, and then <laughs> we're there. So, uh, well, we are delighted to have Monica with us today. Monica Banks, how are you? Good. How are you? Yeah. Thanks for joining us doing I'm well to be here we were notified i don't know what the right word is but we were um we asked the previous guest uh if she knew any any awesome folks and you were one of them and of course we talked about her a second ago now i can't remember her name again um allison, <laughs> allison Myers. yes um should have taken notes. You know, you know, you get older and you you forget those things. But Allison uh, told us about you, and and we're super excited to uh, have you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. Allison is terrific. So, Allison, if you're listening, thank you for referring me to the show. I'm uh, excited to be here. What do you think about just like random introductions or or stuff like 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 me reaching out to you? What what would it take for you to to ghost me? What would it take for you to say yes? Because I think a lot of people from a business perspective get get cold emails, cold calls, situations like that. Like, how do you verify that that thing that that message is is worthy or or not something ridiculous? I mean, how do you, how do you kind of verify that? I mean. I, the way that you, that you worded it, it didn't seem like it hmm. was a bot 
like request. Um, I do get um, these these very bot like requests on LinkedIn or even in my inbox where it clearly is pulling data, like scraping data from something. So it will yeah. instead of instead of saying, you know, um, like, hey, Allison from Scribius referred you, it will say, hello, Monica, founder, of, you know, Allison, founder of Scrubius, like where it's clearly like copy pasted and pulling like variables in that's, that's when I just click the delete button. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Because we always box our guests into do one or two categories. Some people respond, they reply back very, very quickly. And we talk about on the show, just answering the answering when opportunity knocks, you answer the door and you, you take advantage of the opportunity. And then some people, they're just, they ghost you like Zach said. And I guess, and then some other people just straight up turn us down because they at least reply to tell us, hey, our heads are down. We're in the middle of product development, uh, you know, circle back around in a few months kind of thing. But um, yeah, appreciate you uh, answering Zach's email. That's That's great to have you. Well, I, I think respons responsiveness is like one of my, I, I, people who are unresponsive drive me crazy. So it's like, I think just even getting a reply and just saying, hey, I can't do this at this time is it like the least you can do for someone, <laughs> but rather than just like not responding or, you know, ghosting, but, you know, so there are outlier situations where like somebody, you might go into somebody's spam or something like that and they just never received it. But I think if you receive something and it's a nice gesture like this, then you should just respond <laughs> even if you can't. Is, it, is, is doing something like this ever backfired for either of you in terms of like, what what is the worst yes that you had uh, that then when you walked into the situation, you were just like, oh my goodness, what I, I feel like, I'm trying to think of something uh, specifically for myself right now, but I know that I've I've got myself into some really interesting situations because uh, I'm so I, quick I, to say I yes. Can think of one, I can think of one absolutely where there's a new kind of like approach going on. I feel like with with coaching and stuff like that, I have I always have a lot of coaches, you know, like entrepreneur coaches or whatever approaching me, and um, there's this new thing going on where it's like you offer the person you're approaching this this seemingly no strings attached favor like i'm going to introduce you to somebody um who you know i think you'll benefit from kind of thing and that has happened to me where it just seems like oh this person's doing a favor for me this is so kind or whatever it seems like there are no strings attached but then they follow up with you like, Hey, I did that favor for you like a month later. And like, now let's get on a call where I can like sell you on my services. Mm -hmm. And this is something I actually have. This is a technique that like where you're almost like guilting the person because they, they thought you, they were getting this like no strings attached favor. And then mm -hmm. they suddenly realize that, no, you have to listen to, it's kind of like um, the timeshare pitch. <laughs> the vacation when you like getting like a free coffee at the hotel, but like, no, you actually have to watch like a half an hour infomercial about this like vacation home that you have no intention of buying. Um, but it's so it's like, I can't pour the coffee out now. I already drank it. So I have to watch this damn video. <laughs> uh, you, you know, funny, the, the timeshare things, I've never done it. I know that my mom has sat through some of them, uh, like, uh, 
her mom lived in Las Vegas, so we would go out there, and she would like, oh, we get free tickets to whatever goes to this silly little thing. I know we never bought a timeshare, but I'm sure it works, and I don't understand why. And is it because people are like in that moment, they know yeah, it's really they, hard yeah, to say it's no. Definitely, I, yeah, emotional decision yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. And I guess that's kind of how they're trying to guilt you in there as a guy who also does similar, um, uh, who does like business coaching things. I would never like, that's a terrible technique. I don't know why people would, would, would do that. Like, Hey, I just met you. I'm going to introduce you to some rando. And, uh, I'm just hoping that at some point, you know, 28 days or so, because my CRM reminded me, I'm going to come back to you and say, Hey, let's have that talk. Like, I don't yeah. know, that's, that's, that's not a good strategy. Well, it, it, I wind up getting like resentful. I, I wound up in this particular situation. I get, wound up getting resentful because it's like, okay, now I have now I feel like I'm painted into a corner where I have to do this, and I don't have any like desire to be, you know, like working with this person. And so it's just it just it, it, and you know whatever. The last it, thing you want is someone is that feeling right is yeah. is is to stop to stop having positive feelings and to start having negative feelings about that person mm -hmm. and as mm -hmm. soon as you start doing that it's like oh you you you've lost so yeah. people who are doing that shame on you <laughs> trust me don't <laughs> there are other ways <laughs> if you want to offer somebody a you know a uh, no strings attached favor in order to just like kind of get on their radar i think that's awesome like whatever you know if that's what you kindness you know favors that's great but if if it, if there's a you know, if it's kind of, you know, there's a, there's something hidden behind it. It's just, it's not a good luck. <laughs> yeah. Cheerful, cheerful giving something that I always try to, I, I, I try to remind myself, I always do everything with no intentions of getting anything in return. Um, just makes life a whole lot easier that way. And, and just doing things for the sake of doing them. 100%. Speaking you, you of, go ahead, Zach. No, you go, Tim. All right. Uh, no, I was just I, I was going to just touch on the fact of, you know, I would love to hear more about your business, what you're doing. Seems like there's a lot of cheerful, not necessarily giving, but creating or uh, so. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll dive in. Yeah. So I launched my company, Google Guru, uh, in 2015. And at the time I was a, you know, before I became like a founder, I was a um consultant in, in mostly the mom and baby space, uh, because when I went out to start my marketing consulting practice, I, that was like my first client. I was also a new mom and, um, my first client was in the mom and baby space and it just kind of became my niche. And so I saw that there was a big problem just in terms of the amount of products coming into the category, the overwhelm that parents were feeling and when just trying to buy products for their family. And then, you know, I also saw that retailers were like, oh my gosh, this is getting crazy. And how do we kind of create like a good shopping experience? So my company originally just kind of started off as a quiz where parents, new parents, mostly first time moms came to the site, told us about themselves. And then we delivered like uh, AI driven, expertly curated, but AI driven product recommendations that were a best fit for their lifestyle, their style, et cetera. But really I've pivoted the company because as I started to grow, um, the business, I 
saw very quickly that people don't really want product recommendations or not that they don't want them. They don't necessarily totally trust product recommendations from artificial intelligence. They, especially in this stage of life, you, you want something, uh, you want someone you can trust. And so they most, my biggest competition when I was launching the company was always other moms, um, you know, because it was always the first mom in a, in a family or in a circle of friends who, um, you know, she had a baby first and then everybody would go to her for product recommendations. Um, at the same time, these moms were constantly contacting me at Google Guru saying, look, I do all my friends' baby registries or I'm the go-to person for uh, baby gear questions in my group. Uh, it can, you know, are you hiring? Can I come and join your team? I, I would love to do this for a living. And uh, I, I, I thought to myself, okay, this is my biggest competition um, or who I regard as my biggest competition. How do I turn them into my biggest asset? So I actually uh, pivoted the company to be is still like very, you know, tailored product recommendations um, and content for parents, but uh, instead of being powered by artificial intelligence, it's powered by mom content creators. Um, so as part of that, we actually teach moms how to become content creators. And uh, we teach them how to make great content, how to connect with brands, how to get paid for the content they create. And this is a very, very appealing career for a lot of moms because, you know, hey, one in every three users on TikTok is a mom. Like moms are already natural content creators. They're already natural recommenders. And uh, it's appealing because they can have flexibility. And it's, it's, it's almost like content creators are like the new wave of entrepreneurs um, out there. So that's what, that's what my company is supporting. Now, there's never, it's never been easier to make content in the world, right? I mean, there's new products every day that are coming out. It's easier. It's easier and easier to make more content. At some point I saw something like there's more things being produced now than, you know, the, the day before at, I think that's a little bit of a ridiculous statement. I don't, I don't find that to be true, but may, maybe it is pretty true. Uh, where there, there's just so much stuff to be created that it's, it's a lot easier for people to, to, to get into it. You know, I think years ago as uh, so I have a journalism background, you know, if you wanted to, broadcast something out they basically had to be on tv right or or on radio and something in, in that kind of case now it's you can use a tool like we're using here you can post something on youtube you could just take your phone and go live somewhere wh whatever it is there, there's tons of opportunities though I, I think a lot of people will correlate you know being a creator if you will to immediately having success and i'm, I'm just interested in what your thoughts are on kind of, if you're a creator, you're a successful statement. Well, I, you know, I think that, I think Signal Fire put out a study where there are like 50 million people who call themselves creators um, today. And that's, that's mixed up with, that's a, that's a mix of like amateur creators all the way to like professional, you know, creators making a full-time income. And of the that 50 million, I think that um, it's like a very small percentage. I, I, I want to say like four percent are are making a, a full time, you know, livable wage from content creation. Um, so it's um, it's confusing, I think, for a lot of creators because the there are a lot of 
things that are just like vanity metrics and optics out there that they're kind of confusing for success. So for example, if you go on TikTok, I've gone viral on TikTok. I have some videos that have millions of views, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a successful creator on TikTok. Um, TikTok has kind of specifically, you know, has not now so much because they are changing their algorithm, but prior to this, they were like democratizing, you know, the the going viral and if people could do anything and, and go viral and get like thousands and tens of thousands of followers overnight. And so I think that they confuse, many confuse that with success or many see that that happened and they're like, oh, I can do this. I can be a content creator. And the tools that you referred to and everything out there right now that supporting the creator economy does make content creation as a career much more possible, much more uh, accessible than ever before. But it doesn't mean that it's not still work and it doesn't, you know, that, that it suddenly doesn't require like you to have, you still need to have skills and you still need to have an approach and a strategy. And you most of all still need to have patience. Like it's, it's hard because we live in a culture of instant gratification. I talk about this all the time and, um, you know, good things come to those who wait. It's like very, very true in, in terms of, you know, this career path, um, you, can't expect people, you know, people get discouraged. They'll send, they they go viral overnight on a video and then they like contact a brand and they say, I want to make a video for you. Look, I did, and I got a million views and now you should pay me X amount of money. And then the brand doesn't respond or the brand's not interested and uh, with good reason. And uh, the person gets discouraged and kind of like throws in the towel and it just, you know, it doesn't work that way, even though we have the tools and we have the the resources more than ever before. It still requires, um, you know, like a, a specific, you know, structured approach to things. We have a, a question from one of our viewers uh, and Gary is asking, also one of our prior uh, guests on the podcast, uh, do they have to have high quality content? Um. Thanks for asking, Gary. You know, I guess um, that is, you know, high quality these days is, you know, very like is is doable on your own phone. I mean, people are creating movies on their uh, like actually for the cinema kind of movies on their phone these days. So um, I think, you know, as far as like high resolution and and everything like that, it, it that kind of quality, it kind of depends on like the medium. But um, it does need to, uh, you know, clear like lighting and, and, and different, there are different aspects of the, of the content that yes, need to be like quality. Um, and, you know, the content itself, as far as like, what it's about, the storytelling and everything like that, the better that is, that the, the more the content is going to be um, successful. But um, at the same time, I think that some things that somebody might consider quality in terms of like, very, very polished videos, and, you know, seemingly professionally produced actually doesn't matter as much these days, because with something like TikTok, it's all about authenticity, versus, you know, Instagram, which is very like, aesthetically driven. Um, So I guess 
there's a lot of room <laughs> with the word quality. You know, it yes, they have to be high quality, but it depends on what kind of quality you're talking about. One thing that I find interesting about the actual piece of content, whether that be an image, a video, a longer form video, uh, a blog post, a book, a, a whatever, right? Some sort of media, right? Some sort of piece of content. I got an argument with someone else saying that that piece of material is probably like the fifth most important thing to actually get viewed. And I'll start it with this. When you sign into Netflix tonight, you're making a decision off of a two inch thumbnail, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the things that we're doing so that thumbnail is important in that case, which means that that thumbnail probably has to have the highest quality of, of pieces to get someone intrigued enough to watch that. Maybe a trailer to a video is why we're going to watch it. Maybe the rating of that thing is why we go and see a, a, a movie or something like that. The actual headline is, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it clickbaity enough to entice someone to want to click it, right? An email subject uh, line is, is strong enough to get someone to read the body, which by the way, is what you want them to read. So the actual content that you want them to get to is really not the first thing to get them. So it's almost like, hey, like, don't forget that that material that you do is, is important, sure. But if you can't get that person to click or do the action that you want next, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Like you can't eat the food before you decide what it is by the description of it at a, on a menu. Yeah. I mean, so I think that you could argue that, you know, on, on TikTok specifically, um, and I think even Instagram with their reels um, to some degree, people talk about hooks. I actually recently just said, I, I'm just so tired of hooks because the hook is you, you start the video with, are you making this big mistake? You know, so it, mm. the hook is almost like the uh, is the clickbaity part of the of the content. And I forget how many seconds you have to like really grab. But there is like a retention, you know, grab with um, with TikToks and reels where if you know, you you have to get that person to kind of like buy into it in the hook. And then um, and you have some TikTok experts who are like, don't breathe, don't say hello, don't like use any like dead air kind of situations. Like you have to go straight into the hook and get them. And then if you can hold them past like seven seconds, um, then the Is content it, will perform, you know, will, will probably perform well. It's like changing your channel on TV. Yeah. You have to hook them fast. Yes. Is that part of the services that you offer is to provide them feedback based on, hey, you may have more success if you do this or... You need to outline what your talking points are beforehand so that your performance is better. Are those some of the things that you offer or? Yeah, we do. We definitely uh, coach them on the content and we work with brands in a way that, um, you know, that kind of format, like having a hook um, might not be like relevant or appropriate um, because, uh, you know, they're different kind of like content pieces that we develop for brands, which are more, you know, storytelling kind of day in the life things and not necessarily something that requires a hook. Um, we do help with that, but I wouldn't consider myself 
uh, or my company, like any specific, like we don't say we're TikTok experts. We don't say we're Instagram experts. We say we're content experts. And so, you know, a hook might be really, really relevant um, on some platforms and not on others. It might be needed for, you know, so I don't necessarily say we'd like watch somebody's video and be like, you should have this hook in there because chances are on the right. projects that we do, they're not, they're more editorial and not necessarily something where you would need a hook where it feels kind of more mm -hmm. like salesy or commercially, you know? Yep. Circle. I was circling around to ask the second part of Gary's question. I also was thinking about the sense of like, when I work with a founder that is trying to, it just typically you can tell right away. It's like, dude, you're not cut out for it. Uh, I, I'm sure that it's probably somewhat the same case for you as well. When it's like, eh, being a, being a content creator, going viral and making your living, uh, by being a brand ambassador is, is really not your thing. You should think about doing something different. You know, we have like a 15 minute free, like, no, you know, no strings attached actually. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. where, As you're saying this, I'm sitting there thinking about that. <laughs> mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. That's, that's our opportunity to talk to moms. We, we have, and, and hear kind of, and, and basically vet them because I don't want to take, anybody's like if they're signing up for our, for our content coaching services and and or they want to be influencers or anything unless i really think that they or my team really thinks that they are serious about it and that they they have you know a very clear idea of where they fit in as a creator and those kind of things like we're probably not probably we really do feel like it's the ethical thing to do to say like we're probably not the right fit for you. Um, we, uh, and we, and we, we have done that. Um, if we get the sense that this is not going to be a fit, the last thing that we want to do is be like, yeah, come into our coaching services and we'll take your money. And then they don't get what they want from it. We knew they were never a fit it to begin with. And then they wind up saying, you know, this, this coaching service sucked and didn't work for me when that, when it just, they weren't, a, they weren't a fit in the beginning, you know? So we, try to avoid that by just kind of gently steering them in another direction. <laughs> I think that's a hard thing for a business owner to do, right? Is to, to recognize that, Hey, this isn't the right fit. And I know this, and there's a ton of red flags, but as you're growing your business, you might need that money mm -hmm. to sustain. Yeah. And I think it's a difficult situation. I've been in it. I'm, I, I'm, my guess is Tim's been in it. And maybe you've been in it too, Monica. But saying no to that situation when you need that that money to 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 you know feed the family, you know, put you know pay pay the mortgage. Like, ha, have you taken on clients in the past because you've needed to uh, to make money, or like how how how? that scenario of saying no when maybe you shouldn't say no because you need the cash. Like, how do you handle that? Yeah. Not so much with moms. I, I am, I wouldn't take on a mom. Um, but I have, you know, it, it, earlier in my career taken on brand sponsorships who I knew not so much. Well, you know what I, I no, I, where I had in my a gut feeling like this is not, this is not a great product that they're offering and my audience is not going to be interested, but I, but I, I felt like 
okay, but I can make it, I can make it. And now I always, when I speak with a, a brand, I do evaluate them because, and say to myself, are, do they have an innovative product? Is this solving a problem? Because if it's not, then this is probably not a great fit because I'm not going to be able to, um, it, because ultimately it just winds up in like disappointment on the brand's part and they're not going to accept the fact that their product maybe isn't that great. You know, they're mm-hmm. going to put it on me. So yes, I've had those experiences before where I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, this product is a little lackluster, but Hey, I think I can do anything. I can make, I can make it great and people will buy it. And then nobody buys it. And I knew it, there were red flags and I knew that that was going to happen. And then ultimately they come, they're like, well, you know, we spent all this money with you and you did nothing. And it's like, uh, you know, nobody wins, nobody wins and they don't come back and they don't renew and, worst case scenario they tell another new brand like oh no no i worked with them and you know they where i think that if they they even though it might hurt a little bit like their egos if i say to them like hey this is this is not a great fit for us because we just you know we typically like have more success with brands that are xyz then um you know then they then they respect it because uh they can use their budget in another place. Because this is a big market. I mean, th- things have really, really changed a lot in terms of how much money brands are putting into this. I mean, what, I think in the show notes we have, uh, that you mentioned $104 billion is uh, the crater economy right now. Um, <laughs> wow. I mean, that's just, that's a lot. I mean, it's it's a lot. What and so when people approach you and they want to get started, what what are the first things that you tell them? I mean, it's not like money's is going to be falling from the sky. I'm going to go ahead and put out a couple uh, a, a couple pieces of content, and then all of a sudden, I'm just rolling in the dough. How do you tell people to start? I mean, the very very first step is uh, understanding that that you have a special gift. I mean, every single person on this planet, I believe in my heart has a special gift as, as cheesy and corny as that sounds. And you really, in my opinion, to be a successful content creator, you have to figure out what your special gift is, like what, what you're passionate about, what you enjoy doing, because if you are not enjoying the process of content creation, you're definitely not going to be successful. So it's really important that you tap into that. But the special gift part is that in my experience, creating content that helps others in some way, and there's many ways you can help people through content, not just like the, the straightforward educational piece, but also, um, you know, creating connection and emotion and community and and all these things can be achieved through content, but um, you have to, you know, think about where you've, what you enjoy doing, how you can help people, where you've achieved some success in your life, and where you might be able to help others create success. Um, a lot of people would argue, oh, I don't need a niche, I don't need a niche, but now, especially because the market's going to become so saturated with creators, you do have to differentiate yourself and you don't want the content that you create dictated by what the jobs that are available out there. Like I signed up for a content creation app just to kind of 
check it out um, so I could tell my mom creators about it. And um, at first I told them about it. And then I'm like, you know what? I've never used the app, so I just want to make sure. And when I got on, uh, the app saw that I was a woman in my 40s. And the only jobs that it gave me were about menopause, menopausal weight gain, and menopausal hair loss. And mm. um, I just have zero interest in creating content about that. And it just totally turned me off because I felt like I was just typecast, you know, and you don't want that as a creator. So as I said, you just, you know, thinking about what you're passionate about, what your skills are, and most importantly, where you can help people is is the number one first step, in my opinion, uh, for becoming a content creator. Let's say that um, one of your clients, a mom out there, has decided that she's cool with um, becoming a creator, right? I think that, that that that's a thing in itself is is getting past that that hey, like what you learned growing up is is maybe different. That there's tools online that you could use to you know be a part of the creative uh, environment, creator uh, economy. But they're not willing to tell their own stories. And they don't want to show uh, pictures of their families, uh, specifically their kids, maybe not even themselves. What, what, what if you know if if you're on this 15 minute no strings attached call with me, and that's the, some of the things that I say to you. What what is your advice for them? I mean, are they are they SOL? Is there anything that they can do? Is there is there anything that they can do? Like where? As I'm choking, like uh, as talking, like what what, what yeah, would you say to that? Well, there's two kind of part, two answers to that, because I feel like it's a two part question. So as far as like not wanting to share their stories, um, I think you're missing out by not wanting to share part of yourself because a big, like awesome perk to being a creator is that other people relate, you know, can relate to you and, and are enjoying your story. And there is this kind of connection that you get from it. So, uh, but at the same time, if you are, a, let's say, um, you know, a fantastic keto recipe developer, you don't really have to share your story at all about like why you started the keto diet or keto or however you pronounce it diet. Um, and you can just do content about your, your keto recipes and they're still helping people who want to be on the keto diet. So you're still like, you're still creating, you know, valuable content, but you're not really sharing yourself as far as um, sharing your, you don't want to put yourself out there or your family's out there. Uh, that's becoming kind of more and more uh, prominent these days, or I mean, just more and more common. I have so many moms who are telling me that they do not want to put their kids out on social um, and, uh, I, what we've done is created a guide for different ways that you can create content where you don't need to show your child's face because you can do, you know, for videos or for photos, you can do just straight up product photography, flat lays, you know, videos of, um, packing a diaper bag, for instance, where there's no, no child or, or person involved. Um, and then you, you know, that you can use kind of like, um, well, I forget what that Tom Cruise movie is where they always reference, uh, where he, he, I, I'm totally forgetting it right now, but anyway, um, Mission Impossible, but, Footloose, uh, no, no, Tom, no, Tom, cocktail. Cruise. no, it was Tom the one Cruise. Where, 
It was uh, Sam, I want to say Stanley Kubrick directed it. Um, is there, sure. is, is it Andrew's, Andrew's all over it. He'll uh, he'll let us know. Yeah, I think Nicole Kidman was his wife. She was a eyes wide shut. Yes, thank you. In that, there was a the bunch most of ridiculous Tom Cruise movie that there is. Okay, yeah. there you go. But the reason yeah. I'm referencing it is because um, there were a lot of like very edgy scenes, and they were. Um, using like ridiculous things like a vase <laughs> to like cover up, you know, things that uh, gotcha. were uh, a little bit racy. And so there are just like techniques that you can do there, or you can, you know, instead of showing your child's face, you show the back of their head or, you know, so there are workarounds for all of it. Um, and again, like you can just go with option A where you don't really need to show anyone. You can just show product and do voiceovers and stuff like that. So there are, there are definitely ways around that. This whole thing is really, it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I like, I, cause there's so much to it. I mean, I, like uh, just in terms of how you, you, the authenticity of just getting out there and talking is great, but, but if you really want to do something well, just making sure that you have your, uh, thoughts about what you want to say or you know how the, the placement of the products what how how many videos or how many pieces of content do you find that someone needs to do before they can really hit that level of improvement or quality needed before they can start being looked at by brands to say all right I've turned the corner and now I think that it's I can monetize my content uh, I mean, I don't know. It's very hard to quantify and say like they would have to create like X pieces of content. I think that um, the younger kind of generation, like Gen Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, those they're just this is they're like digital production is like native them, you know. So I think that uh, for for many, it's almost becoming second nature as far as like creating, you know, reels and TikToks and, you know, they're just kind of like creators by default. Um, so it just, I think to some degree, it depends on the person. Um, but I also think that um, there is, you know, if you want to work in a specific niche and you want to work with a specific brand, then there is an element of practice makes perfect going, going to that brand's um, social media channels and seeing like how they, you know, what kind of content they're using and how that content is um, formatted or whatever and what channels they're using and, um, and, and, and practicing also just around the house. I always say just like grab products that you, that you love and that you want to make content about and, and create just organic content uh, to get that practice, that practice hour, mm -hmm. uh, those practice hours in. Cause, cause they generally say like, like at least in the podcasting world, you know, like it's going to take you a hundred episodes for you to really hit that next type of milestone. And then where my mind takes me next is like, gosh, you have this killer piece of content, but you're super early. And maybe it's like your third or fourth time doing something like that. Do you just, What's your advice then in terms of do you just keep that content evergreen as possible or do you wait uh, uh, until you've improved and then redo that same piece again? Uh, I mean, just. Yeah, just... I mean, I think that that just kind of this the second step 
of becoming a creator or again, in my opinion, like how I kind of relay this to aspiring creators is, you know, once you've kind of defined your niche and your, uh, your point, your unique point of view, then the next step is to create content. And then the step after that is to create, um, a landing page to kind of showcase that content. And I really highly advise, uh, creators not to build a house on somebody else's land. Like don't make the mistake of creating a bunch of TikToks or creating a bunch of reels and then directing a brand to that um, TikTok or reel because Instagram could shut down tomorrow or your account could be deleted tomorrow. I hear it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, Just that people just randomly lose access to their accounts or uh, their account gets hacked or they get put in, uh, in like a, like a purgatory for accounts because Facebook jail. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so um, just kind of going and to, to a, uh, a tool like Canva and just creating a very simple portfolio for your work. Really, you don't have to wait, Uh, get a few pieces of really stellar content that you can put on that page and direct brands to, um, there's nothing really holding you back if you've got great content. I don't think, I, I certainly think having more than one piece is, you know, a good idea. Um, unless that one thing that you created is just so astronomically awesome, uh, that it stands alone. Uh, I would say, you know, a few pieces of content and then, and then, uh, you can showcase them and start contacting brands. What is your what is your thought on this highly debated topic of Instagram trying to take on TikTok's algorithm? And now Instagram is just so much like TikTok in the sense of uh, there's the the Kim Kardashian camp that is like, I just want to see my friends again. But then Instagram's like, hey, we just want to retain eyeballs and keep people on the app. So we're taking out we're going to. I guess there's no other way to say it. Copy TikTok's algorithm. Yeah. What, what's your take on that? And what do you, how do you, what do you tell the people that you work with regarding the changing of algorithms? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, 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 like in Instagram's defense, I, um, I think that they were headed in a, in a video, a Facebook, I, I want to say, um, I mean, it was maybe three or four years ago said that they were just going to shoot to be almost 100% video uh, for both uh, Facebook and Instagram by like whatever year it was. And so that was always in the plan. I think that, um, you know, clearly Instagram is borrowing some things. People are not really, uh, from TikTok, people are not really interested in, you know, in, in photos as much, in my opinion, as they are videos. So I do think it's kind of a logical move as much as they're being seen as uh, a copycat. And um, yeah, I don't know if it's a Kardashian or one of the Jenner, like Kylie or Kendall or whatever that said that, uh, that Instagram, they just want the old Instagram back. I mean, they have like, it's surprising that they have so much weight and like they can actually that those those influencers can actually like impact like stock prices and stuff but um but i think that uh that uh tiktok is also kind of trying to encroach on google's territory i you know they're 
becoming more known for SEO and changing their algorithm, but nobody's really saying anything about that. It's almost like, you know, it's okay for TikTok to try to mimic, you know, Google, uh, but it, it's not okay for Instagram to try to mimic TikTok. Um, I mean, TikTok has changed a lot uh, as far as the algorithm and even just like how the feeds are um, organized. And so they're, they're, they're making moves too and doing a little bit of copycatting as well. Tim, yeah, are you on, are you on TikTok, Tim? No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, but it's interesting. Same. <laughs> yeah. I just, um, I don't know. I just... People are going to copy. I like, I feel like, I get it, right? It's it's but, something to talk about. But I mean, people are copying things all the time, and you just yeah. you just you just look at it, and you go, if you were to really peel back the onion of almost everything in the world, it's a copycat of something. Mm -hmm. And if someone has the resources to be able to 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 do that, like sure, maybe it's a frowned upon type of thing. But I mean, it, it's it happens. Like yeah. you know, I mean, you, you look at um, um, sports. Oh, this team did this, so we're gonna take that strategy and start doing this. You know, you you, you see it online, like we're talking about now with TikTok versus Reels, our Instagram. I, mean, I don't know. It's, I just I wish things. that uh, I wish they would copy how they do the revenue sharing because it seems like YouTube does the best job. Spotify, or uh, not Spotify, but uh, TikTok is somewhere in the middle. And then Zuckerberg's not giving anything to know anybody and never has, uh, you know, kind of in terms of. I think that's actually changing um, because of the, like the creator funds that are coming out. Uh, TikTok, I think, is from what I have heard, um, I'm not a part of any of the creator funds, so I don't know for sure, but from what I've heard of TikTok, they pay the least. Um, it, Facebook uh, came out with, or, or Instagram, Facebook had Instagram come out with bonuses for people's reels. And I know that some influencers were making like uh, in excess of like $2,000 a month on their reels, um, because it was just based on impressions. Um, I, my brother actually just had, uh, has an, has an account about dogs and he, um, contacted me and said, Hey, I, I just got contacted by Instagram that I'm eligible for bonuses. And they've, scaled it back. Like you can only make a maximum, at least as far as his account, I think it was only, only $1,200 a month on reels. Um, you get paid per view, but, um, but he's, he's, he's already, he just started and he's already been, he's already made a few hundred dollars off of reels. Mm -hmm. So I do think that that is changing. I think because of like Instagram and Facebook want to hold on to the creators and they're like, we got to compensate them. Uh, Pinterest also like Pinterest, you don't think of it, but like Pinterest is also in the game They're They're also uh, starting up a creator fund and I know a lot of creators who are making a lot of money off of Pinterest. So I know you said he might've been governed by, by, you know, hit, hit some sort of governor of, of $1,200, $2,000. Um, should we be like, that's not a lot of money. Like it, it's yeah. just, it, I don't know. Like, I, let's go back to like maybe the success $1, versus $1,200 a month. And I would just say that's still that not a lot of money. I mean, that's not significantly, a lot of money, but I don't know. Cause like I, I, I see that $1,200 for some of my mom content creators, 
$1,200 a month for, would be a complete freaking game changer for them. So I guess it's relative. Like if you're right. a professional content creator who's pulling in, you know, $5,000 for a 15 second video, then no, $1,200 a month isn't, isn't great. But if you are, you know, and my brother runs a dog rescue and, you know, he's a non-for-profit. So $1,200, he said to me, like, it's not tons of money, but it pays for a month of all these rescues, <laughs> their food. So, sure. um, yeah, I think it's, it's relative. I don't know. Um, yeah. But, I guess I'm just trying to look at it from a, you know, what is the you know, the median salary of a person in a state? And if they're, you know, if that Delta is 35 grand, does it make sense for you to be doing this thing when it's so capped at mm, something? It's yeah. just how I was looking at it. And so um, from a, I remember hearing this um, stat from um, a guy named Jared from Astoria way back when he was talking about how he had a popular um, YouTube, uh, he had like a band and it had a decent amount of views on it. And he's like, we've made $34 off of this thing. And he's like, for us to see success, we had to, we have to get like 10 million views to make the, um, the average, you know, the average amount of money that someone makes in, in, in the country or something like that. And it, to think that something could get that many views and to only be making basically minimum wage. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a, a thing that you look at and you go, all right, well, is this the best path to be going by or do you need to be doing other things to supplement that so that it's, it's not just the views. And I think sometimes people aren't thinking of it from that perspective as not just from making, um, making the 1200 bucks a month, but also making sure you're doing sponsor deals and, and other aspects of that uh, in there. And I think people need to be doing that if that's the totally. avenue that they want. Oh yeah. I would never recommend that that $1,200 is just like, like I say all the time and I apply it to myself. I have multiple streams of income, <laughs> like multiple, because it, you if you, also, I mean, just kind of going back to what I said, your account on Instagram could, could vanish tomorrow, completely out of your control. So if you're just depending on that 1200 bucks a month, you're, you're up a creek. Or what worked right? before doesn't um, work now. So there are, yeah, yeah. For, for creators, I, you know, there are, there are like you know, the uh, those kind of creator funds. There are also brand sponsorships. I, I think I, I've seen various studies, but I think like most creators will say that like 90% of their income comes from sponsorship. They have, uh, you have affiliate, obviously. Affiliate requires a lot of work um, to, to get successful at it, but there there's affiliate dollars. And then there's also digital products um, and physical products. So you can... Um, that and I suggest that creators explore whatever might be a good fit for them. But it all goes back also to sometimes nothing is guaranteed, so you better be enjoying the content that you're creating, um, <laughs> or else you know, or else it could be a real, real nightmare. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. What I'm curious with that. I mean, because this can be. It's a lot of work. I mean, you've got, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. What is your take on, do you just plaster yourself on all the different platforms? Do you stick with one platform and master that and then slowly expand and scale to other I, platforms? What's your take? 
my take is to uh, not overextend yourself and to really figure out um, what platform is uh, the best fit for you. Uh, I think that, um, and I don't know who said it, if there's somebody that said this, but there's this notion that simplifying equals success. And I think that that is very true when it comes to content creation. If you're trying to be on Twitter and, you know, and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, you're going to burn out real quick unless you're at the level that you can like have a VA kind of, you know, repurpose your content um, in a way that is a fit for each of those platforms. So I really think, um, yeah, the whole, uh, you know, jack of all trades, you know, master of none kind of thing uh, definitely applies here. And you should really home in on what what is the best platform for the format that you, you know, that, that you're producing that, you know, that is, you know, where, what you're good at, where, where you excel. Well, if you do a hunt, you know, let's just do some simple math. This is how I explain it. You know, let's say you take four platforms, right? hundred divided by four is 25% towards each. And if none of them are really, if you're really not learning anything from any of those, like what would happen if you put more attention on one of those or all your attention on one of those, could you see more success? And so it's interesting. There's a guy that I, um, that, that I follow. His name is Pat McAfee. He started on Twitter. He was an NFL punter and he now he's done all these. Um, he he's, he's done well for himself from the online broadcasting world, but he basically only stays in, you know, one or two lanes, YouTube and Twitter. And that's about it. And, you know, he talks about how he doesn't even, you know, he doesn't have a TikTok account or something like that. Maybe he does now, but he, he has to learn all these other new things. He's like, why would I do that when this stuff's working? Why don't I just continue to capitalize on that? And I think sometimes, you know, some advice that people give out there is do it all. And it's just like, yeah, you probably don't have the the attention, the resources, the ability, you know, insert whatever word here, like to do that. And it, I think that's good advice. No, no, I agree. I, um, I have often tried to put myself out there and then in like on too many things and then inevitably circle back. Like I, I started a podcast last year and it was just like, what am I doing? Because it gets to a point where it's like you become an entrepreneur or content creator or whatever, because you want the flexibility to live your life too on your own terms. And then you can unfortunately wind up in the pitfall of like being chained, like the exact opposite happening, you know, and I'm sure you guys can relate to that too. I have so many clients that have gone from, Oh, and my, actually I did this. This is probably like my fifth podcast that I've started by the way. And so like, it was like, Oh, I'll do it every once in a while. Then I was like, okay, you're going to release it on a certain date. Then, Oh, it's going well. So let's do two days a week. Oh, let's do three days a week. And then at some point you sit there and you're like, this is ridiculous. This is nonsense. Like I've got to do other stuff in there too. And so I got a client who recently uh, was at one, then went to three and or two to three. And then he's like, I'm going back to one. Like this is, this is too much. And it's, it's Tim and I've been doing this for hundred and something episodes and uh, Thursdays at 11. Perfect. Right. And that's it. We've never even talked about doing doubles and you know what, if we did, I would say no. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 100 122. That's all. It, it, the number doesn't sound like a lot, but when you look at it once a week, I mean, we, we've been at this for over two years. So uh, we have more episodes than The Sopranos did. 
there you go. I mean, that's a huge, that? that's that's awesome. That's like an <laughs> awesome metric. Seriously, I mean, that's yeah. that's consistency and awesome. One hundred and twenty-two. I don't know why I brought up The Sopranos. I think that's like one of the most overrated shows of all time. But that's fine. Yeah, that's a bold statement. <laughs> How many? Monica, it's like in Monica's backyard, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think The Sopranos was New Jersey, so technically it's kind of our backyard. <laughs> I'm curious what your what your take is on the uh, on the paranormal. On the paranormal? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Wait, do you research on me? Because no, like, we're um, good at this. This is I this is our a, job. I'm a huge, huge fan of paranormal. Like, first of all, I've seen every single episode multiple times of paranormal caught on camera, and can give you my opinion on all of those things, but. I also am, you know, um, like a massive uh, fan of seeing psychic mediums. And on top of that, uh, definitely very well read on uh, aliens, UFOs, or un unidentified, what is it, flying phenomenon, or <laughs> whatever they're so, so, so Is the psychic reading stuff, is it, do you think that's legit? Or do you do that for just entertainment purposes and it's fun? No, I think it's legit. Like I, um, I don't even know. It's funny. I read an article about how I saw a psychic and, um, he li literally like just put some positive thinking into my head. And I just don't know if he was full of it or not. I don't believe that he was because he's, he hit some things that were so spot on that I just, I left believing in him. But what was more important was that he gave me some tidbits that I've carried with me for years that have mm. really, I felt like uh, just the, the whole, po the positive thinking, the positive mentality has been a gift. I also um, randomly found a psychic here on Long Island um, when- Oh, the Long Island medium. No, but I, they all know each other, which I found. But this, this is yeah, a They're all in their little clubs together. This is a woman named Me Megan Stansat, and I found her in, in a really kind of roundabout way um, when my mother-in-law passed away because my mother-in-law was um, lived down the street from us, and w I was very close with her, and I wanted to go uh, see a psychic. And so I went, and um, Megan blew me away. Um, my When my... my, my my husband, uh, when I was leaving the house, my husband said to me, like, wouldn't it be so weird if uh, she said something that my mother-in-law always said, which is my eyes, my eyes. And um, I said, that's just too funny, whatever. And I got to, I sat down with Megan and within like 10 minutes, she goes, now who is this woman coming through that's saying my eyes, my eyes? I recorded the session. I like screamed to high heavens. Um, and uh, so I've had other experiences with Megan where it's just, they're just too accurate. And even my mom, who is um, like a skeptic to like the 10,000th degree because she's Catholic and that doesn't like, that's not a part of the Catholic faith at all. Um, even she's like the, some of these, these, uh, these things that Megan brought up, there's just no possible way that she could, there, I don't know. Like, unless she's a mind right. reader or some other kind of like energy is going on there. But, um, but she's pretty amazing. So, 
um, yeah, if any of your listeners want to check out a great psychic, I highly recommend Megan. And I am not affiliated with her in any way. I found her in a very roundabout way, but uh, but she has uh, blown me away on multiple occasions. So, can, so in the whole COVID pandemic era, do they? Can you do readings on Zoom and all that stuff now? You can, you can. I, I don't, um, just because I don't know why I can't make the mental leap that someone be, would be able to read me over the phone or over mm -hmm. Zoom. Um, I feel like I have to physically be there for the people that I want to speak with to come right. through. Um, that's just my thing. But most of the psychic mediums that I have met with or talked to say that they can give just as good of a reading over the phone or over Zoom. Yeah, all it takes is, you know, my eyes, my eyes. <laughs> well, no, there's, there's more than that. Actually, there's just there's, that's just one tiny example. Uh, she has said some things that there's just absolutely no way that she could have ever known unless she, she referenced conversations that my husband and I never shared with anyone. I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. I mean, it was just crazy. And uh, so yeah. are you telling me that mediums are the, uh, like the original Alexa listening in? Careful, mine, mine, mine is going to go off. <laughs> um, I think so. I think so. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't. I, I, yeah. no. I think that they just tap into that. There's like multiple layers of energy on this planet, and uh, I fully believe in the concept of energy not being able to be destroyed because I think that that's been proven, and they just somehow can mm -hmm. tap into that energy. That and. Uh, and they, every psychic that I've ever spoken to also says that we all have the ability to tap into it too, if we want to exercise that, that we actually don't really need psychic mediums. Um, we just have to learn how to do it ourselves. So. Well, in hour two of the fervent four, we discuss with Monica, <laughs> how you can become your own. <laughs> this is my favorite podcast interview ever. I've never, I am so, I'm so, you know, my family makes so much fun of me. I'm the youngest of seven kids and my brothers and sisters make so much fun of me because I am like a massive paranormal fan. So uh, the fact that you brought this up, like I'm. All right. I, we, we, we're, we're basically out of time, but I want to ask this question. Unless um, unless you have a hard stop. I don't you know. We can keep no, 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 it's, no, it's OK. It's OK. <laughs> OK, so I, I watched the other day and I remember living this and thinking what everyone did. So this Manti Teo documentary has just come out. And he was the guy who got catfished when he was at Notre Dame. I don't know if either of you guys remember this, but he was a, a very good football player and uh, was catfished during this whole thing before catfished happened. And, and the whole thing is, is wild. And I'm not saying that I, I, I do exactly what your brothers and sisters do by like making fun of you for stuff. But like, why do we make fun of people for stuff? Because they don't like, do the same things that we do, right? Like I'm, I'm 38 years old and I watch wrestling, right? That's, that's ridiculous. People make fun of you for that. People make fun of your, you know, your siblings make fun of you for, for, for that aspect. We made fun of Manti Taylor, this guy who we have no idea who, who, who he is and, and what he's going through, but, but we do that like as a society, like, why is that a thing that we do? Because as I was watching this, I like literally, I, I felt really bad for the guy. And I'm like, I cannot believe that I used to, you know, not a lot, but like, you know, jokingly, if I was talking to a friend, I'd be like, oh, can you believe this guy? He's dating a girl who doesn't exist. And like, we all make fun of this person. Like, it seems like such a, like a, a crappy thing to do, yet we all do it. Why? Well, I think that, I think the key to life is to stay curious. I, you know, and 
I read something, and I, I, not to jump ahead of you, Monica, on this, but I, I read something that I thought was super profound. And it was like, if you, if you think the same way at 40 as you did when you were 20, sure. you, lost, you lost 20 years. Yeah. So I, you got to stay curious. And to me, but I you mean, should I'm make so, fun of people from that. Perspective. No, no, I agree. I, but, but like, to me, I'm, I'm really curious about this. So it's like, you know, I'm, now I want to know, like when you go in, you, if you talk to a medium or a psychic, do, do like, they ask you a question beforehand? Like, do you only want to hear the positive stuff? Mm. If there's blue pill, red stuff, pill. right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, man, I, you know, I mean, if you found out, how much time left do you, would you want to know? I, I, I don't know if I would know, want to know the answer to that. It's interesting. I, um, I don't, you know, going back to what we were talking about, uh, just kind of funny that you say that about the, um, the, the 15 minute consults I give mom creators where I say like, this might not be the right path for you. Very similar with the mediums where they, if there is something, they're not going to, say, oh, you're going to be super successful in your career if that's like not what they're seeing, but they're not going to tell you, hey, you're going to be like a massive failure. Mm -hmm. um, they will say, may, may you, it looks like you're, you might have some challenges ahead with your career. Like they soften it up a bit. Um, I have actually spoken with Megan about this specifically because I did tell her about the the uh, the positive like pieces that this other psychic gave me, and she was saying she knew that psychic. Unfortunately, he passed away, but she said to me like he. But he didn't see that coming. Yeah, I, who knows? Who knows? But he, she said to me that uh, <laughs> that um, that you know he would not have done that. Like if you know he would not have given me those positive pieces that I would live a long life or whatever. You know that if if it weren't true he would have maybe con said some things a little bit differently but as far as the making fun of thing i think there's two different types of making fun of like my sisters and brothers it's like a loving making fun of and then we ha we had actually a, a loss in our immediate family and they definitely changed their perspective um like when that when something happened in our immediate family um and it was less about like you know there's still kind of a little bit of skepticism there but like they but less of the like kind of you know job, like you know picking on me kind of thing but then there's this other thing on the internet where like you know I, i'm sure you guys saw that the ceo that posted a selfie of himself crying um mm -hmm. last week on linkedin and just everyone attacking this guy and whatever and like that to me is just like, I mean, I just don't understand the bullying and the like, there are feeds on TikTok of people like just outing, outing people or, you know, making fun of people's parenting styles and stuff like that. And like, that's, it, it's very, don't very. Don't you think sad. that maybe, so uh, I saw that I've let people go. I've definitely cried beforehand. And, yeah. and in those situations, I think in a, in a way, maybe it's like, you feel like a failure, I guess, while it's happening. Like, I can't believe this is happening. So like, maybe you feel like that. And I don't know this individual, so maybe people don't know, they don't know where it's around, but like, maybe that's why you shouldn't post so much stuff because then when certain stuff like this happens, I guess people were complaining like, oh, you were just on some vacation that looked expensive and now you're, you're, you're doing this. And so yeah. where is the authentic? So, so to me, is that authentic mm -hmm. him doing that? Or is he just trying to get a bunch of people to see him um, is maybe where people were going with that. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's. it's I don't know. Like I, I and you're also not going to please everyone because people most yeah. people are employees 
And so they look at that and like, oh, here's this schmuck who just, you know, fired these people. And now he wants me to feel bad for him because he's crying. He posted about it. Like, it's it's a hard thing. And yeah. I mean, I didn't make fun of the guy, but I. No, no but I mean, I think there's a there's I see a lot of like schadenfreude, uh, like, um, you know, just people like for my from my perspective, I've had brands contact me and say like, oh my gosh, so-and-so's stroller got re recalled. My competitor's stroller got recalled. Should we just like tell mm. everybody on the internet like, oh, don't get that stroller. Come get my stroller because that one was recalled. My advice is always like, you never know when something is going to happen right. to you. So you take, need to take the high road. Shut up. <laughs> and your stroller, could, yeah, your stroller, could, yeah, yeah. It's Give the me. same thing like, um, you know, with the, 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 the crying CEO, all these people like saying stuff. It's like, you never know when you might put something out there and people are going to poke holes in it. So I, you know, it just best to be kind and stay above it for sure. There you go. Monica, this has been awesome. <laughs> Thank uh, you. We, we took a lot of uh, different avenues. That was fun. Um, so thank you for being with us today. You guys can go to her site at Goo 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 roo.com. <laughs> quite quite the jingle there, Zach. You said that I, way. <laughs> well, hopefully that's G U G U G U R U dot com. Appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you Thanks, so Monica. Much. Peace.